Hello, welcome back to Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks. It is episode 13. Unlucky for some, but definitely lucky for me as this is my very first sponsored episode. This episode is sponsored by The Good Village. Go and check out n4hk.com.au for the very latest in interactive HPE teaching and learning. Go check it out. Now on this episode, I have got the illustrious Alice Biggers. Yes, that Alice Biggers from Teacher Takeaways podcast. It was so good to chat to her. She's absolutely one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever spoken to. And if you listen carefully, you might even spot a guest appearance by her lovely little new edition. Congratulations to Alice for that. So I hope you enjoy, guys, and I'll see you soon. So I am Alice Figures and I'm an assistant principal at a primary school in the New South Wales Riverina region and I've been there for the past oh, a little over 18 months now um, enjoying, enjoying the sea change or the tree change. We've moved um, <laughs> from the Central Coast. That's uh, where I kind of grew up and have done most of my um, kind of teaching um, doing so when I was on the coast and prior to where I uh, am working now was um, uh, working at the Catholic school in the Catholic system um, as a curriculum coordinator so leading teaching and learning Um, I was also doing ICLT coordination and sport coordination so lots lots of um, hats yeah, <laughs> kept me very busy, but it was it was um, it was good fun, and I learnt lots, which is the most important thing. And um, I actually started my teaching career um, as a new graduate at the school I'm now working at as an assistant principal. So wow. it's been been nice to to come back, and um, there's not a not a high turnover of staff um, at the school that I started at. So lots of the teaching staff were still there, and the leaders were still there which was really nice. We kept yeah. we had kept in touch with lots of them. So uh, it was nice to go back. It was a little bit different going back in a different role. Mm. Um, but, no, it's been an exciting journey. Um, so I started yeah. with the department and then um, we moved back to the Central Coast um, to get married and um, all of our family live on the Central Coast. So moved back Absolutely. there to get married and start a family and, um, yeah got a job in the Catholic system and I was there in that system for oh, about 10, 10 or so years. Mm. Um, and then an opportunity came up to apply for the assistant principal position um, at the school I'm at now. And so we kind of talked about it and went, you know what, let's just do it and see what happens. And yeah, got the job and haven't looked back amazing that's really really awesome so is this the first kind of senior leadership position that you've taken uh no so in the catholic system they kind of structure things a little bit differently so they have um what are called coordinators which are equivalent to assistant principal kind of levels um, in the department and their assistant principals are kind of dp levels if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um so i have um, held a number of curriculum coordinator roles in the Catholic system, so doing IT, um, leading teaching and learning, so curriculum coordination um, while I was there. So I had 
lead, senior leadership positions for about eight years in the Catholic system. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And is there a position that you particularly enjoyed over that time? Like, is it uh, in your current position, do you get to do a bit more of that, um, of the side of stuff that you enjoy, or is this something brand new? Um, I, I quite enjoy working with teachers and mm-hmm. and helping them to to improve um, their practice. I think the role, the teaching and leading teaching and learning role that I had um, in the Catholic system and um, this particular role that I have um, now affords me the opportunity to work quite closely with teachers um, in yeah. kind of like an, an instructional leader role and, and um, in terms of curriculum um, development across the schools. So I really enjoy kind of doing those those kinds of things and being able to see and watch teachers grow and develop um, yeah. in their practice. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be something because I, I didn't train here. I did my teacher training in the UK and that seems to be something that um, has kind of evolved only over the last few years um in in teaching in Australia like we I I don't remember having that kind of support back home and I haven't seen it here um I haven't actually I've not been in the classroom for about 10 years now but um I did I don't remember seeing that in my school experiences here is that something that has been developed recently or has kind of had um a bit more um focus put on it in recent years I think it I think it definitely has I think Mm. um Probably in the last maybe five to eight years, it's become more of a focus. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the research kind of highlights that, you know, if we want to improve school outcomes, then, you know, we need to have highly skilled and expert teachers. And if they don't have that knowledge, we need people around them to support them to achieve that and to help them build their confidence in their practice, particularly I think primary teachers who have to be, you know, masters of everything but, you know, experts in nothing really. Yes. You, know, you, have to, you have to have a really broad understanding of, of every area of the curriculum. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's always subjects that you feel really confident in teaching and others that you just go, oh, my God, I, I this, you know, this isn't my strong suit. Um, yeah. And so you need teachers around you to be able to support you and build your skills to be able to teach that effectively to your students oh 100 percent. okay so here's a bit of a controversial question how much of ensuring that our teachers are highly skilled and capable of kind of um delivering excellent uh education is about supporting them kind of in the classroom and how much do you think is about reducing the amount of red tape and ridiculousness that policymakers come out with Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> um, I think that there is a lot of red tape in education, mm-hmm. um, which is which is you know kind of sad. It kind of detaches or detracts from the you know the amazing work that teachers do every day in the classroom. I think if um, you've got an instructional leader model in your school and you've got the protocols in place, I think it's you know, it's quite valuable and beneficial and has quite a big impact, but it has to be centred on, you know, the students in in that 
room and what they need at that particular point in time and supporting the teacher to be able to get there. And I think if you keep that as your focus, Mm. you can work your way around, you know, all of the constraints and the things that try to, to, you know, to take you away from that core business. Yeah, definitely. I think the hardest thing that I had to come to terms with is that some people don't have students at the core of everything they do when they're making decisions about education. That's really hard to um, to align with when you are so focused on your own best practice and making sure that your students have the very best of you at all times. Yeah, yeah, that make, it makes it very hard. And you kind of sit back and question, well, why if, if your focus is not on, you know, student growth and learning and achievement, and, you know, being your best self for those students, then, you know, what is it that you're really doing here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, we might come back to that a bit later because that's a huge topic and I love to get into the nitty-gritty of teacher well-being. Um, but you are supporting teachers in another way as well. Of course, you've got the amazing podcast, Teacher Takeaways. We do. We started that, oh, I think it was in about March of this year, um, before we headed into lockdown and um, there's three other teachers that I do that with so Aaron Johnston, Beck West and James Gray who are all um, assistant principals and deputy principals um, at their respective schools yeah um, in New South and Wales and um, yeah we kind of Aaron and Beck and I were had since probably the end of 2020 gone you know what let's start a podcast like you know there's a real need for that and we went round and round about what we would call it and (laughs) what we would talk about and we just kept going round and round and we got really stuck on you know what are we going to call this thing we need a name and um James had connected with Beck and said oh you know I'm really interested in starting a podcast kind of want to talk about these kinds of things would you be interested in getting on board and Beck went yes I'd love to Aaron and Alice you know we've been talking about it as a as a team would you be willing to jump on board with us and we we kind of had our first meeting and you know after within you know 10 minutes we decided on a name and and what we would what we were going to do and we kind of I think we just kind of needed James to to help connect the dots for us yeah it's been a great journey it's um it kind of feels like you're just sitting down after school one day just having a chat with colleagues about yeah educational topics and it's really relaxed and 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 fun and um We've, I think, I think it was only in the last week we've reached thirteen thousand downloads of the podcast, and we've. Oh my god, that's incredible! Yeah, and we're streaming in about fifty-three countries at the moment, <gasps> which is just mind-blowing. Yeah, and you know we haven't been going for that long to be so to be reaching those kind of numbers so early is just incredible. That is insane, isn't it? But it does really highlight a need that actually there is a space for that kind of resource for teachers. Like teachers are obviously listening to it and wanting that um, support kind of across the airwaves. Yeah, I think, you know, people want to know, you know, listen to people who are current practising teachers who go, yeah, you know, I do that too or I do these slightly different or I've never thought of doing it that way before, Um, you know, just to give, give you a fresh take on you know what it is that you're doing in your 
in your room and you know to reflect on where you are is mm. you know I think people just want that to be able to feel like they're connecting with with other educators even if it's not physically definitely definitely I know that when I'm listening to my very favorite true crime podcast it's just like having you know a couple of friends that are in the room talking about something that you're interested in that are completely ignoring you obviously but it's (laughs) almost kind of building that building those social connections as well as learning just like being in a PD session yeah absolutely and oftentimes you know it can be quite difficult for some I guess to connect or have have those conversations perhaps with people they work with particularly if they're you know contentious topics and they don't Mm. want to kind of start an argument or open (laughs) Pandora's box so I guess it's you know you feel like oh you know that person gets me or you know I was thinking the same thing too it's that connection with like-minded people who like you said are, are interested in the same things that you're interested in and and mm. you kind of build that connection even if it's not a physical physical one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations. That is really, really awesome. Um, you did a, a recent episode actually only a few weeks ago on parenting. Um, yes. What I wanted to ask you was, has your teaching style changed since becoming a parent? I think it has. I think it. I think becoming a parent has has softened me (laughs) in in a way that I I think that I'm a little bit more empathetic to to parents and what they're going through having you know my own knowing Mm. you know I've got um my eldest he is eight and is in in year two and um his learning journey has been a very interrupted one with with mm-hmm. COVID, um, and um, his he in his first year of school had a lot of you know ear infections, which significantly reduced his hearing ability. So he missed um, a fair chunk of of kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, and so I think you know having all of the struggles that he's gone through as a learner and to see his growth now, um, kind of makes me better understand parents when they're concerned about where their child is at or if they don't feel like their their child is making the gains that they perhaps should be it mm. kind of you know I kind of go yeah I, I get it and you know there's a lot, lots of factors that sit around um those kinds of things and so yeah I guess it you know as before having kids it was kind of like oh yeah like you know, every kid should be doing learning. Why aren't you learning? Yeah. And yeah. as a parent, you go, oh, yeah, there's lots of, you know, lots of other home factors and health factors and, you know, friendship factors that go yeah. into a child's ability to learn. Sure. And perhaps if you're a new teacher and you're struggling with managing your time anyway, there simply isn't room in your day to even acknowledge that those kinds of factors exist. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of just live in your own little bubble, don't you? <laughs> yes. It's like, well, I've got all this, you know, I've got time. I don't have kids. So why don't you like, you know, why aren't you reading yeah. kid? What <laughs> why aren't you doing the homework with your child after school? It's just like, you know, the reality is for many parents that you know, there's so many people doing after school sport, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, going home, you might not get home till six thirty, seven o'clock. So Homework might just be one of those things that is is your negotiable because it's just 
not feasible to get, you know, one child yeah. or two or three children, however many children you have, to yeah to sit down and and get that homework done without fights and arguments. Yes. Now, homework is another contentious topic, but I'm not going to grill you on <laughs> it that. It is. Don't worry. <laughs> so my next question, I am going to go on to my, um, my list of questions that I've got now. So my next question is, what's been your gold star of the week? Now, obviously, you're not in the classroom at the moment, so you might wish to go back to when you were or maybe it is from this week. So a moment that's really made you smile this week. Um, I'm going to go back in time a little bit to kind of earlier in the year and I've got a little person <laughs> sharing her, <laughs> her gold star. Um, to kind of a moment when I had had a bit of a reluctant writer in in my room and there were lots of other factors where um, that were kind of impacting his engagement in yeah. learning um, and we were doing a particular writing piece um, related to a book that we were reading the Rowan of Rin yeah lovely and and we Instead of kind of writing a summary about, you know, like the, the key ideas or the key message of a particular um, chapter or, you know, section of the text that we'd read, we decided to do create it as a visual instead. Mm-hmm. And instead of using the lines, you know, you, a normal picture, you, you create it using lines, yeah. we decided to turn our lines into a passage from the text or a sentence from the text that really stood out for us that kind of highlighted a particular character. Beautiful. And so it kind of tapped into his, um, you know, love of drawing and he created this beautiful, it was this big eye and in the centre of the eye was this big mountain and I can't remember the sentence of the text, but it was early on in the book that he that he had chosen. But it was just like this child who, you know, ordinarily wouldn't put their hand up to share, really reluctant writer, didn't want to write, kind of just would normally do, you know, give you the bare minimum of what you wanted, mm. created this amazing artwork and piece that connected to the text and the and the message that he was drawing from it and it was just like wow like it just it just blew me away and the other kids were just in awe of what he had had created and it was just like yeah this is this is why we do what we do like for those those moments that make you just stand back and go wow you've you've really got this like you know I can see see it in this visual form that you've understood yeah the the text and and you've you've really captured the meaning of of what what that part was about that is so beautiful and I can hear the smile in your voice when you talk about that you must have been really proud yeah and and it was one of those times where it was like you know what I couldn't wait for the end of the day not purely because you know (laughs) it's the end of the day but because I was like I really have to ring this child's mother because he's a he's a kid that would often get phone calls home but not for the right reasons yeah always the negative and I was like no I have to ring this mum and I have to photocopy 
his work and send it home and give her a call and give her this positive good news so that, you know, she knows that her child is doing good things as well, not just always getting to trouble for, you know, not doing his writing or not doing this or not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really lovely. And I think it speaks volumes about preferred learning styles and different types of children and how they learn and what they want to show you as well. Do you think more people should um, be aware of that kind of thing? Absolutely. I think it's, you know, we should be aware of of what the kids like and enjoy and how the, how we can bring that into the classroom so that we get the best out of our kids. You know, it's it might be, say, a writing task that you've got, but if that kid can't connect to, you know, say you're writing about elephants, you know, you're doing an information report on elephants, that child doesn't want to write about elephants and is not interested in elephants, then it's going to be like pulling teeth. Yeah. And you're not going to get... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to get the best out of that child and you're not going to see a true indication of what that child's capable of. But knowing that, you know, they, you know, they like a particular Pokemon or they like a, you know, they like dogs over elephants, allowing, allowing them to choose, say, what they're writing about or to approach a, approach a, a task in a particular way allows them to really show you what they know. And I think it's really important that in that learning process that we're providing students with multiple opportunities to show what they know in different ways to allow them to, you know, if if they are more, say, creatively minded, that they have the opportunity to express it not in a written form if that's not what they prefer or, or feel that they are strongest at. So yeah. that, you know, that we we get a true sense of what it is that they know and, and can demonstrate to us. Yeah. So with the curriculum review currently happening, we're obviously due for a new curriculum next year, how would you like to see a curriculum based on skills um, being put forward rather than, excuse me, just on content? Do you think that would be better in kind of allowing children to learn how they want to learn and you know, really increase that engagement in the school system for some kids. Yeah, I think it. I think it will. It. I think. Um, you know, it's really important that we've got that that explicit and that direct instruction based on the skills of of literacy and and numeracy mm. being the first two um, coming out. I think the curriculum that we have have currently. Um, I think there's a lot of ambiguity in there and and the learning can get a little bit lost in translation in terms of what is it that that, that outcome or that indicator is actually asking mm. us, A, to teach and B, for the students to demonstrate that they know. Um, yeah. I think it's a really exciting time, particularly in, in the area of literacy, to get back to almost essentially get back to basics so that we can we can build those strong foundations for our students.
All right, Katie, I have to tell you about this resource that I found. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Have you heard about the Good Village? It's made by Nestle in partnership with the AIS. I have. Is that the new website-based student-led HPE resource? Yeah, it is. So, like, they've got this whole map in there. I mean, well, I guess you know because you've used it. And then you can go to the different areas so you can learn about, like, health and well-being, fitness, nutrition, or even sustainability. So it brings all of HPE together. I love that. And do you know what the best thing is? It's non-prescriptive. So I can fit it in my scope and sequence and my planning however it fits my students' learning. That is literally my favorite thing about it. And the other thing is it actually shows you how much time it takes to do each activity. So when I'm planning it out, if I'm if I'm looking at my planning and I only have like 30 minutes, I know exactly what activity I can do and I don't have to worry about it running over time. And there's even teacher notes that show you how it links to the HPE curriculum. Yeah, and you know what I heard? I heard that they're actually introducing a new area to the map in 2022 that's actually going to be a yarning circle and it's going to focus on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives. How cool is that? That is so cool. Every program needs to have an underlying base of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives. I'm so excited for this. And if you want to go and make your HPU teaching and learning super easy this year, just head over to n4hk.com.au or Google search Nestle's The Good Village and get started with the latest in project-based HPE. Now, you seem to be quite excited about teaching literacy in general. Obviously, your gold star moment was literacy-based, and we've just talked about writing and getting back to basics. Is that something that you have always been excited about teaching? Do you do you like teaching English and English skills the most? Um, I do. I actually, uh, literacy was always a strong suit for me as a, as a learner going through school. Um, yeah. I've always been quite good at literacy, so I've been able to you know, draw on those skills that I learnt um, to be able to, you know, do that effectively. Maths or numeracy was the area in school that I, you know, really did not enjoy and mm-hmm. really found a challenge as a learner. And it's actually, I mean, I talk about literacy a lot, but it's actually the area that I actually enjoy probably teaching the most yeah just because you know I there were a few times as as a student where I was not you know I was made to feel like I would never get it or I didn't understand um and I was made to feel like oh well I'll you know I'm dumb I'm I can't do this you know the teacher tells me I'm never going to get it and it was kind of one of the cornerstone moments for me growing up going you know what I don't want any other child to feel like that to be put down if they don't you know get a maths concept straight away Mm. Um, and it was kind of one of the catalysts for actually becoming a teacher was you know I had a teacher in year five that was like that Um, and from from that point onwards I kind of went through high school going I'm not good at this I'll never get it yeah Um, and so that you know, her voice kind of stuck in the back of my head and I just went, no, I don't want any other child to be, to have that kind of said to them and 
the only way that I know that I can make that change and make that difference is by becoming a teacher. So mm-hmm. mathematics, wow. when I teach mathematics, it's kind of like, you know what, I want to change that narrative around around mathematics learning and and for students to feel like they can do it and we can achieve it in different ways and, mm. you know, mathematics looking in might look like it's hard but if we break it down and we look at the processes and the steps to get there, you know, we can achieve that level of understanding that we're looking for. Absolutely. There's a great teacher tweet making the rounds on uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever it was that said children don't not like maths. They don't like feeling confused and threatened. And I think that has really just come through in what you said. And it's, you know, it's exactly the reason I became a teacher. I didn't want other children to have a bad um, educational experience. And it, um, it really just brought it home how many teachers I speak to that feel exactly the same way. It's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we have kind of talked about being supported in our teaching and supporting others, but do you want to take the time now to big up a teacher bestie or a time that you've really felt supported by another teacher? Marigolds, I call them. (laughs) Marigolds. I love that. Marigolds. Yeah. Um, I've had a, a few marigolds in my in my teaching career, but there are a couple that I taught with um, when I first started in the Catholic system, and they were um, my teaching partner next door and and the teacher kind of across the um, the little collar from me, and we kind of there was kind of like a group of four of us, and we we're all kind of teaching within the same vicinity. We had kindergarten year one and year two students and they will always be I guess my closest friends because every every afternoon we'd always go to one another's room and we would sit and we would debrief about our day about different students about life in general about things that were going on in our lives and you know we were all of a very kind of similar age and and doing similar things so it was kind of it was kind of really nice to know that you had people that were willing to sit and take the time to listen to you and the things that were challenging you or just to you know sit and and have a chat about not much in particular just you know yeah just to sit and have a chat was really nice um, and so they will they will always be my marigolds. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. Now, do you want to shout out your marigolds? Should we should we name them up on on the podcast? We should. Um, big shout out to Jess Roberts, Jenna O'Brien, and Gemma Elsley. Oh, They're my oh, marigolds. Lovely. Oh, I love that. And so important, especially as a new teacher, to make sure you have that support group around you when you have no idea what you're doing <laughs> very, absolutely very absolutely and there's still the people that I if I've had a hard day I'll go and ring one of them and just say oh look I just need to chat just need to get this off my chest and oh. they're happy to just sit and listen and yeah it's really nice 
Oh, beautiful. Get yourself some marigolds, people. Absolutely. (laughs) Everyone needs a marigold. (laughs) I love it. Um, All right. Next question is a bit of a weird one, but uh, I want to see what you think. What feels illegal but isn't in schools or teaching? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Getting to school after eight o'clock? I I, I set myself this time to get to school so that I've got a little bit of time before lots of other people arrive and I can get a little bit done before I am, you know, caught up in conversations and and running around with a like a chicken with its head cut off (laughs) in the mornings. But I don't know why if I'm there five minutes past eight, I just feel really guilty. I just feel Mm. so naughty like I've and it's, you know, our we're not required to be on site at my school until I think it's like 8.40 mm. and it's even knowing that it's sort of like, no, I've set myself this time that I want to be at school and if I'm past that I just feel like I've done something wrong. I yeah. don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Has, do you ever come across like that kind of competitive feeling who can get to school the earliest? Um. Probably. I think yeah. you kind of drive through and go, oh, yep, there's only a couple of people here. I've, yep. You know, whereas if you drive into a full car park, it's like, oh, everyone's judging me. I've come to school, you know, yeah. that little bit later. Everyone else is already here. <laughs> <laughs> that pressure we put on ourselves and nobody else is even noticing. Oh, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. And I know every teacher listening to this as well is going to identify with that. I go, oh, God, thank God somebody else feels like it. <laughs> brilliant um okay well this one's kind of related I guess what do you wish you had more or less of when you're teaching or perhaps this is um uh pertinent to your leadership positions as well um as a teacher I wish I had more post-it notes and butcher's (laughs) paper (laughs) right that's I am a I'm a sucker for post-it notes yeah. and multicolored um, sharpies. Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah, and only and only because we do lots of our learning on like poster paper with post-it notes, sharing our ideas on post-it notes, and and you know sorting them and talking about them and and displaying them so that we can see the progression of our learning. And yeah, it's always one of those things. I'm like, oh, I just wish I had more post-it notes. <laughs> I just love post-it notes in all different weird, wacky sizes and shapes and colours. Oh, and, yes, yeah. definitely. Now, uh, presuming that the CEO of post-it notes is listening, is there a post-it note size, shape or colour that you'd like to request? <laughs> um, oh, I quite just like the standard size. I don't even know what size they are. They're just, you know, your standard squared looking ones in, yeah. in the block. Yeah. <laughs> any any colour is fine. <laughs> any colour. <laughs> right. So when there's uh, a desperate parent posting on Facebook, oh, what do I get my child's teacher for Christmas? Post-it notes is a pretty safe bet with you. Is that right? Post-it notes. Absolutely. I think any teacher would be happy with post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> Take note, everyone. Yeah. Post-it notes yeah. and glue sticks, please. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. 
Glue sticks, yeah. they go wandering. They swear they've got legs. The lids have legs. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't know how many glue sticks I've gone through and I don't know how they disappear. I don't know what the kids yep. are doing with them. I have yep. 10 glue sticks one day and then an hour later I have two and no yes. one can tell me where they are. <laughs> yeah, that and lead pencils and rulers. Oh, my God, all of it. In the void of stationery, never to be found again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> classrooms are like black holes for stationery. It's worrying. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, let's continue the hilarity. Could you tell me about your most recent classroom cock-up? <laughs> hmm. Um, right, let me think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose a... a a maths lesson, mm-hmm. and we were doing fractions, and so I decided, right, I'm going to buy these blocks of chocolate, and yeah. when the students walk into the room, I'll have them lay down the tables and we'll, you know, decide which table we're going to go to, but we have to justify that. Nice. You know, why we're choosing to go. So one table had one block of chocolate, the next table had two blocks of chocolate, the third table had was supposed to have three, but one of the blocks of chocolate was hidden under a whole bunch of stuff in my hair bag. Right. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't brought enough chocolate. So I kind of like, you know, changed it up a little bit and we ended up with, you know, less chocolate. Yeah. Than we were supposed to. And it was like, oh, how am I gonna do this? because there were quite specific fractions that I wanted the kids to, to look at and work with and it was like, oh, this isn't just going to, this isn't going to work. But we kind of made do and then it was at the end of the lesson I went to grab something from a handbag and I was like, oh, I found another block of chocolate. Like, oh, well, I guess I'll have to eat this one now. <laughs> what like, a shame. Oh, and it was one of those things where in the moment I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'd like, didn't mm-hmm. didn't buy enough and it's just derailed my entire lesson and the kids were all amped up for this chocolate lesson that we were going to do and and they were really curious as to how we were going to link it into fractions and 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 in the end we kind of had a good laugh about it and we we made do but it was sort of like oh <laughs> <laughs> just didn't go as we were planning yeah planning yeah. for it to go <laughs> The but I haven't had any really like major stuff ups in the classroom. Yeah, just little kind of annoying ones like that. Where it's just like, oh. sure, oh, not that annoying though to go home with an extra block of chocolate in your handbag. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I we had a we had a um, stage meeting that afternoon, so I saved it for my team. We, oh, we enjoyed nice. the the uh, <laughs> the stuff up that I made earlier in the day. <laughs> Oh, sharing is caring and all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Now, the last question I always ask on the podcast is a bit of a serious one. I guess it takes us back to what we were talking about at first. But the question is, if you were made Minister of Education tomorrow, they called you up and said, Alice, there's an emergency. We need you to step in your Minister of Education. What is the first thing you would change? I think... I would probably set about trying to reduce the workload, the administrative expectations on teachers. I think that's what takes teachers away from the core business of of supporting students. There are 
um, you know, obviously things that we we need to do in terms of our, you know, planning and 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 that kind of thing. But all of that extra stuff that just detracts from us being our best self, I think, is what I would work to change if I was Minister of Education. Mm. What kind of um, admin do you find yourself doing the most? Um, I've, as being an assistant principal and, um, you know, overseeing a stage, lots of the admin side of things is, you know, writing up reports, whether it's for behaviour or, you know, we're wanting to implement a certain kind of program, you've got to write a report about it and it's just all of that mm. kind of time that it takes to sit and put all of that paperwork in and yeah it's, it's just yeah yeah like the justification stuff yeah 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 of course well I think there's a lot of teachers out there that would agree with you and you know when you when I first got into teaching it yeah easily working 60 70 hour weeks and so much of that is paperwork and admin and it just seems that a lot of it doesn't actually contribute to your day-to-day purpose so what's the point (laughs) yeah and it's you know if you look at the way that we plan and we program at the moment you know where the expectation is massive on what is to be included in this document and you know, you've got to have the syllabus outcomes and the teaching and learning sequence and in your assessment mm. and your differentiation and your evaluations. And, you know, I, I get the value of it and I get its importance in what we do. But I think that so much time is spent on creating these that, you know, something's got to give. And unfortunately, at times it, it can be our effectiveness on class if we're particularly if you know they're they're being reviewed and evaluated by um, executive or you know you've got external validation coming from outside that you know there's so much pressure to have these perfect documents for every KLA mm. that you know I think that's a large part of of our workload and what we do. Whereas most most teachers, I would I would um, say, you know, once they write them, they've got a you know they've got a really clear idea in their head of of where it is that they're going and how they're going to get there. Yeah, they don't refer back daily, you know, on those no. kind of documents. So what's the purpose of writing them so detailed and having so much included in them? Mm. It's it kind of it kind of feels like you're back in your teacher preparation you know uni days where you're having to write lesson plans for absolutely everything and yeah yeah Yeah, exactly when actually a lot of teachers nowadays can probably fit their day's program on a single post-it and there's another use for them (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely (laughs) all right well Alice you have been an absolute delight to have thank you so much for taking time to come and chat to me thanks for having me on Always a pleasure. And everybody who's listening, keep up to date with the Teacher Takeaway podcast, please. Yes. You can find <laughs> us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you have Absolutely. a listen. Brilliant. We love a plug. Okie doke. All right. Well, I'm <laughs> going to let you go to enjoy the rest of your maternity leave. Best of luck with everything. And uh, let's um, hopefully we'll catch up soon. 
another amazing episode there. Thank you so much, Alice, for coming on. And now you know what to get your kids' teacher for Christmas when you've got no other ideas. Stationery, post-its, rulers, pencils, glue sticks, all of the things. Just go to Officeworks, fill up a basket. It'll be great. Now, don't forget to go and check out The Good Village at n4hk.com.au for a really great HPE program that can take you a term or even a full year. Go and check that out, guys. Come and join me again on the next episode of Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks. I've got another amazing educator for you. Until then, stay safe and be happy. See you next time.